What does it mean to be a better human? We be nice. We be nice? And we listen to our mom and dad. Then we eat our dinner. And then we play it with our dad and our race cars. Do you ever feel like you are the only one living a life that is too hard to handle? Welcome to the In Raw Life podcast, where we're going to talk about real life in its raw form. Each week, we'll dive into the stuff that nobody really likes to talk about because it's uncomfortable, painful, a little awkward, or just weird. We want to normalize all of that and help you realize that you can live out your dream even in life's messiness. I'm Sierra. And I'm Jessica. And we're living our dream lives in real life, in raw life. Welcome back to the In Raw Life podcast. So as we told you in the first episode, you got to know a little bit about me, Jessica. In this episode, we are going to dive into who Sierra is. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. It's a very scary thing. I don't think you want to be inside my brain. (laughs) You know, this is the In Raw Life podcast where we do get raw. And this actually will probably touch on a few serious subjects in this episode. But I think it's beautiful that Sierra is always willing to share her story and what she's gone through and the tools that she uses to be her best self. And she's been sharing her raw life with people for, what, two, three years now on your blog? Uh, yeah. First, let's get to know little baby Sierra. Not little baby Sierra, but (laughs) tell me a little bit about, you know, your upbringing, who you lived with. Let's start there. Okay. Well, my parents separated when I was only one and a half. And actually, I kind of remember it, which is weird because I was very, very young. I don't really remember things. Like if you were to ask me an event that happened a week ago, I probably couldn't replay it because I have a really bad memory. But I remember through feelings. Like I remember Mm -hmm. the emotion behind it and how I felt through all that. I remember the feeling of sadness and confusion as my dad was telling me that he had to leave and he wasn't coming back. And I remember standing on the stairs, like next to a suitcase and like being very confused and sad and not sure what was going on. So that was my, probably my youngest. Well, no, I have another memory, but I don't think I really remember. No, it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole different subject and we can totally talk about that some other time. But anyway, so they separated when I was only one and a half and they were divorced shortly thereafter. And then I moved around a lot, which is funny because I'm kind of a gypsy in my heart now and like staying in one place for too long really makes me itchy, which probably has a lot to do with how much I moved. So when I was three, my mom and I moved out of the house that we were living with my dad in which my dad was already out of that house too, but we, my mom and I moved out and we moved in with uh, her boyfriend at the time. And then when I was and where six, was this? we, this is all in Colorado. Okay. When I was six, we moved again out of that boyfriend's house and into another place, which was really scary and not like, I think it was cheap. So my mom moved in, but it was like, mm. she was like, Oh, I should not have moved here. Cause there was like all this bad stuff happening. So Kind of like I need to get out of this apartment, but also my mom falls in, finds love quickly. <laughs> we'll say we like I moved, we moved into this apartment when I was six. And before, while I was still six, like I think we were only there six months, we moved in with another boyfriend and then he was no good. So we moved again and we're living on our own. And then she found, reunited with her high school boyfriend guy and they got engaged. And so by this time I'm nine. And now she, we moved to Florida to, for her to marry him. And then we were with him for three years. And then she left him and we lived, we moved on our own again. And then she found her current husband, which has lasted for a solid <laughs> 20 years. But, uh, that was around when I was 13 and we moved in with him. And then we lived there until I went to college. And yeah, so we, you could say that my childhood was full of many homes and many men. Oh. <laughs> As any well, healthy childhood should be. I mean, you know, we all have our things. I wouldn't 
say that you're alone in what you went through. It's interesting how that definitely shaped how you think and act now with, you know, feeling that you're a gypsy and if you're someplace too long, you know, you feel like you get itchy and I totally understand that feeling. Not the same way, but I understand the, it's like the anxiety in you, like, oh, what am I doing? I need to go do something. Yeah. It's funny because in one way, in the desire to move, I'm the same as my parents who moved around a lot, both my mom and my dad. But in the dating, I'm the opposite. So like, Mm -hmm. while I don't mind moving around all the time, watching my mom go from man to man, I was determined that I would get married once and I would stay married no matter what, I mean, not no matter what, there are a couple of deal breakers, but um, I was really adamant about that from a very young age. And I remember probably as old as 10, but possibly younger, praying so heavily for the man I was going to marry and praying that I would marry once and that he would be a good man and that I wouldn't have to go through the same thing that my mom did. So... Yeah, so it affected me in multiple ways. So now you said that your first memory that you're sure of that you remember was through emotion. Do you still feel like that's how your memory works or large part of how you feel and act is through emotion? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, well, I have a really bad memory. So that is also part of why I think I act the way I act. Because my husband will often get upset with me because he's like, what? How can you so easily forgive that person? And I'm like, well, I don't remember how crappy they were to me. (laughs) But I think, but I do remember the good. And I think we all kind of tend to do that more. But my my husband has a really good memory and he's a factual rememberer. So, but yeah, the fact that I remember through emotions. Or you remember emotions more than you remember facts. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember the feeling of each situation more than I remember the events in the way that they occurred. What did little Sierra love to do then? What made her happy? Oh my gosh. So little Sierra, I feel like stayed with me (laughs) until I was 24. (laughs) I I honestly think because I, so like as a, a little girl, I just loved like getting lost in my imagination I started writing really young. I wrote my first poem in second grade and my first story in third grade. And I just loved, I loved any time that I could get lost in my imagination. And it's funny because Jessica was just telling me a story or no, I think we were, it was even on the podcast. <laughs> I can't keep it straight. But um, Jessica was just talking about how her daughter likes to direct the make-believe. And that was oh, always yes. me. And I actually would get in trouble with parents of friends because I would be telling their kids like, okay, if we do this and if we do this, then it's going to be awesome. Because like when we played house, they just like stood in the house and mixed mud pies. And I'm like, okay, no, like let's have a story arc. Oh, you, you were more of a director though. Like it had to be that way. Oh yeah. Like we need to follow this path of excitement because it will be fun. So uh, yeah, so I've always loved getting lost in my imagination, and I did that. I, I remember, if we're going to be raw, uh, mm-hmm. I remember being, I want to say in my 20s, um, at my grandparents' house and going out. They lived on five acres of land, and I went out in their backyard and just, like, would still play make-believe because I would just write these stories in my head, and, like, their land had all these trees, so I could just, like, kind of get lost out there and let – any story play out. And I remember one time like seeing, I don't, again, I don't, my memory, I don't remember if it was my grandma or my grandpa, but I remember one of them was out on the porch watching me and I was like (laughs) mortified because I mean, maybe I was 18, but no matter what, I was an adult. I was in college and I was playing make-believe in their backyard. So yeah, so make-believe and imagination and creativity has definitely fueled me my whole life through. I would agree with that. (laughs) So talking about the emotions, and I asked you what made younger Sierra happy, which, you know, flowed into your 20s. And you said your first emotion you remember was sadness. And that honestly reminds me of that movie Inside Out. I know. (laughs) So this is kind of a hard question. What made younger Sierra sad? Oh, man. Well, I remember being a spoiled brat and getting really (laughs) mad when the pinata didn't bust open for me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that's the competitive side of you. Probably. Okay, so we may just have to hear baby coos in this podcast. Well, you know, that is what it's all about. <laughs> it's so true. So speaking of sad children, my baby just started crying, <laughs> and I've got him, and I'm rocking him in front of the microphone now. So, yeah. What made me sad as a kid? Honestly, I don't, like, I mean, again, like I said, like, it's hard to remember the hard things over the happy things for me, but I don't, I know I was sad. Like, I remember being scared at night. I would often be scared that I was going to die or that my mom would die and that I'd be alone. Mm -hmm. But I think, I don't, like, I, I remember just being happy a lot, which is why when, like, depression hit, it hit me hard. Mm -hmm. But I guess my biggest sadness was being alone. Yeah, like, my mom, I would tell people that if my mom ever died, that I would, like, that was my biggest fear. Like, I wanted to die with my mom because she was <sighs> my my biggest... Well, she was your person. Yeah, yeah. My I saw my dad every weekend at one point and then every other weekend and at another point. And then when I moved to Florida... I only saw him on the summers and spring breaks and every other Christmas. So, yeah, I was scared to death of my mom dying and leaving me. So I wanted to just die with her whenever that happened. Oh, that's morbidly cute. <laughs> I know, it's so sad. So we talked about who you lived with and where you lived and all of that when you were younger. Who do you live with now? I live the, with the one that's the noisiest one because he grumbles all the time. So it's not even like he can sleep and not make noises in the microphone. That's my son, Gray. He was just born in November. And then I also have a three-year-old, Arrow, and my husband, Jay, who we've been married for six years now. But together, off and on, for 12, steadily. Let's see. Let's, <laughs> it's 2020, so steadily for 10. Oh, nice. And you asked me, because this is really important to both of us in my interview, and we'll go much more into this on another episode, but I'm sure you'll hear us referencing it. What is your Enneagram number? My Enneagram number is seven. So I'm the adventurer. My biggest fear is pain, aka my mom dying without me. There you go. Um, and I don't remember the other side of it, but I'm, I always want adventure and Hence yeah. the gypsy. So kind of fits. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and what, besides the Enneagram, what three words would you use to describe yourself? So you had, your first word was creative and I completely resonate with that. That is also a word that describes me very well. I'd also say spontaneous. Like I don't, because like, like how we were talking about how organized you are. I'm the opposite. You don't know what to expect from me. I don't even know what to expect from myself a lot of times. So spontaneous. And then I would say the word gracious just came to my mind. I feel like mm. I'm like, I'm very forgiving of people. I don't know. I always try to see the good side of people and like what they're really going through, not what they're presenting. Yeah. Like even as a kid, when we would be driving down the road and my mom would get road rage as like, I mean, I do now, obviously. But as a kid, I remember sitting there going like, but mom, like he's a person and you can't <laughs> be mad at him because maybe he's got to get to the hospital or whatever. So I would always be really sad when my parents got mad at other cars. I always would think that there was something that they had a good reason behind it. I would see like their heart behind it. Yeah, that, that definitely sounds like you, all three words. I love it. <laughs> okay, so now you discussed, you touched on a little bit, talking about how you have had depression. When is the first time that you felt depressed? So, okay, I I got married in 2013, the end of 2013. And that year was a crazy, crazy year for me. We got engaged in March and then I feel like everything hit the fan after that. So in June, my grandparents, that like five acre house I was talk talking about, the, or the five acre land, it got hit by a massive forest fire and their beautiful home, which after knowing how much I moved around, my grandparents' home was the only home that was, was consistent to me. It got lost to the forest fire, completely destroyed, mm -hmm. as well as like all, all of their things. And my grandmother at the time was dying of cancer. And so 
So their house was lost in June. And then in August, we... Oh, and no, it was the end of July. At the end of July, I went to go... Uh, like, my grandmother was really taking a turn downhill. And I wanted to go help. Like, I, I felt like I, I have to help. Like, I'm... I'm the kind of person, like, when tragedy hits, like, I have to do something. I can't, I can't, like, sit and mourn. I have to, like, actively do something to mourn. So I wanted to go and be helpful to her and my aunt who was taking care of her. Uh, so I went to Colorado to, like, kind of help my aunt out so she could go back to work. And I bought a plane ticket there with no plane ticket home. And so yeah, I left my fiance and was like, okay, I gotta go take care of grandma because that's what I do. And I got there and I was nervous about it. But like, as soon as I got there, I'm like, ah, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, this is so great. I'm so glad I'm here that I could be of help to my family. And as soon like my aunt got me all set up or whatever. And she's like, okay, I'm going to go back to work at which she hadn't been to in like two weeks or something. And I was like, yeah, you go, I'll be fine. And my grandma wasn't really talking. And again, like I, at the time I didn't know what the Enneagram was. But my biggest fear is pain. And so, like, here I am sitting with my grandmother who can't even talk or anything like that. But I was like, no, I, I totally have this. And as soon as as soon as my aunt left, I got this phone call from my now mother-in-law who was frantic. And I she was in tears and she couldn't even get out what she was trying to say. And I honestly thought that my husband had died. But it wasn't. It was his best friend uh, had committed suicide. And so now I was in Colorado by myself and my husband was back in, or he was my fiance at the time, but he was back in California and his best friend had just committed suicide and I wasn't able to be there for him or help him through any of that. And yeah. And then, yeah. And not only could I not help him, but I also like I was dealing with my grandmother and so there was like so much sadness and so much pain going on at that point. And I also was engaged to be married in a few months. Like there was so much going on and I didn't let myself process it because I had a wedding to plan because this was supposed to be a happy year. And so when I like Jay had gone, Jay is my husband, Jay had gone to New Jersey to go to the funeral. And I was in Colorado still without a plane ticket home and trying to be strong for my family, but I was crumbling. And I just remember going to bed one night and feeling completely broken. And I didn't know what to do because I wanted to go home and be with him, but I felt like I needed to stay and take care of my family. But I, I just remember that that was probably the first time I felt anguish, like mental anguish. And I talked to my aunt about it and she's like, no, you need to go home. Like, that's totally fine. And so I did, I went home and then again, like I just brushed it off. It was no big deal. Uh, my grandmother passed away. I came out for the funeral. Everything's fine. I'm just going to keep like powering through cause I have a wedding to plan. And then I got married in November and that was, I don't, I want anticlimactic is not the right word, but like my husband always says that I walked through like he met me wearing rose colored glasses and he meant, he meant that literally and figuratively <laughs> because I literally had a pair of rose colored glasses <laughs> when he met me. <laughs> they were hideous. It was the early two thousands or late two thousands, whatever. It was not good. But the, uh, but yeah, I always walked around with rose colored glasses and I always assumed that marriage would be amazing and beautiful and my happily ever after. And I was going to marry my prince. And now all of a sudden I was married. I had achieved the thing I'd always wanted to do, the thing I'd been praying about since I could remember. And it wasn't like, ooh, I've done it. Like it wasn't the happily ever after grandiose moment of a Disney movie. And there was actually some pain and some hardship and some arguments. And I didn't like that either. And I was working remotely at the time. So I wasn't really interacting with a lot of people and I'm an extrovert. So I thrive on people. So there's just all this stuff going on, like this disappointment on marriage, not being the creme de la creme of all things and the being alone throughout the day, all was kind of compiling up inside of me, but it wasn't until I just, I remember it very, very specifically. It was August 11th of 2014. Oh wow! I was in New Jersey. We had gone 
back to visit Jay's family for a family trip, uh, like a family get together that they do every August. And I, I just got really sad. It went from like trying to figure out this weird sort of emotional state to like, no, I'm extremely sad. And I remember it was kind of like those commercials where you just see the person with their like head walking in the fog or like walking with clouds or whatever. And that's what it felt like. Mm -hmm. I just was in this cloud. I could not be happy. It was only sadness. And we went over to his cousin's house. It was just Jay and I in the backyard playing Frisbee, which should be something fun. Like we're just hanging out playing Frisbee. No big deal. And I was like, it was like I was faking it. It was, I could not find an ounce of joy. And I, I just remember throwing the Frisbee back and forth with him. And then like, I heard this very clear, like in my head, it wasn't my voice. I just heard a, you will get through this. And I was like, okay, like, I don't know what this is. I'm not a fan of this feeling, but I had extreme faith that it was like, that God gave me hope that it was not going to be forever. And that I was going to be able to find the strength to get through it, which that honestly, that moment in my life gave me hope in some very, very dark moments where I just felt like I would never be me again. I just, I would, I've, I've repeated that phrase. Like, I don't remember facts, but I'll never forget that. I've repeated that phrase over and over (laughs) to myself in some really hard times. So. Wow. That's, I do. I remember all of those events in your life too, from my perspective as a friend, but yeah, you, you carry yourself in such a way that you have no idea. And then I was across the country from you when you went through all of that. And I remember, I don't, it must've been like a month or two after that, that you actually called me and told me you had something to tell me. And I had no idea what to expect and especially never expected that to come out of your mouth. And I remember just like, I went into my helper mode my caregiver mode. I do remember that <laughs> yes. on that phone call. That's so funny. Cause I don't remember telling you that at all. Like, I don't remember having like saying like, I have something to tell you. That's so interesting. Yes, you, I remember you calling me and I was like, Oh, I get to talk to Sierra. And you telling me I have something to tell you. And you told me that you were going through depression and I was just taken aback and then immediately went into what can I do kind of thing. Yeah. Cause it was something I'd never experienced before. So it was definitely different than, than anything I'd gone through. So So did you ever feel, because I know sometimes these are coupled together. Sometimes it's like the first step and sometimes they're, they're also completely separate feelings. Did you ever feel anxiety before that? Or do you think it was a part of it at all? So I, when I was in high school toward like this, my senior year, I had a lot on my plate and I, in high school, my mom used to always tell me that I was depressed, which she doesn't remember saying, but I think it's because like she had depression when she was younger. So whenever I'd have emotions, she'd be like, I think you're depressed. We need to get you on medicine. And I was like, no, I'm not depressed. I don't want to be on medicine. Then at one point in high school, I had this thing where I like, I felt like I couldn't breathe. And so we went to the doctor and the doctor's like, oh, it's just anxiety. And so they gave me Xanax, which I didn't really know what that was at the time. And I took a very small dose, but I remember like all the kids in high school were like, can I get some of that? And I was (laughs) such a goody two shoes. And I was like, no, you cannot. What is this? Is this a drug? Like, what did they give me? (laughs) And so I, yeah, so that was probably the first time I felt anxiety. Okay. But I don't think it was quite what I feel now. It was just like having a lot on my plate and feeling stressed out. But I do struggle with anxiety as well. I've realized as an adult, I think we all do. I think we're all there with you in our own ways on anxiety. I've only discovered it as an adult myself, what it actually is. Yeah, because when you're a kid, it's different. Like when you're a kid, it's like, oh my gosh, am I going to pass my math test? Mm -hmm. But as an adult, and this is something I actually realized that in more recent years, I thought I was still struggling with depression. And I realized it was actually anxiety. And even when I was pregnant with gray, it was, it was kind of getting severe, but it wasn't, it seemed like depression because it was very dark and scary and sad. But what it was, was fear of like, what happens if I die again? Like always going back to death with me, <laughs> with, but like my fear of pain, it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I would be like, what, what's going to happen if, like, what happened if I were to die now? Like how would the boys survive or 
How, you know, what happens if Jay dies? How am I going to survive? Just these dark, dark thoughts, but there's, I, I would, I would have a hard time getting through my depression. And I realized it was because I was labeling it wrong because it wasn't depression. Mm. It was mm-hmm. very dark anxiety. And once I was able to recognize it as anxiety, I started treating it differently, not like professionally or medically treating it. I just mean like in my own head, I started thinking about it differently and realizing like, okay, these are just anxious thoughts and they don't serve me. And they're a waste of my space because they're what ifs that I don't know even how that's going to play out. And so once I was able to understand that it was anxiety and not depression, I was able to heal from it a lot quicker, I guess. That's amazing. And yeah, I I love that you're sharing that and the difference between it for you personally. And we are not doctors. We are not diagnosing anybody. (laughs) This is just our personal experiences. But I feel like a lot of people out there that could help them understand maybe thoughts or feelings that they have too, and understand one, oh, I'm not the only one Two, let me try this that she tried, or maybe it is more serious than I thought that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's the thing that's really interesting is that we, as society, we talk about postpartum depression a lot, but postpartum anxiety is not hardly ever talked about. I actually didn't even know it was a thing except for I was trying to like research what I was going through. I was like, why do I have anxiety about, I don't even remember the thing I searched, but then all of a sudden I was like, oh, postpartum anxiety. That's a thing. That's so interesting. And the thing with postpartum anxiety is that it can happen even when you're pregnant. It doesn't, Mm. it's not necessarily postpartum. It can start as early as pregnancy. And with this past pregnancy, I was finding myself with this extreme anxiety and thinking it was depression. And then finally like, okay, no, this is anxiety. And this is the research that I, the research I found also said that postpartum anxiety is more common than postpartum depression. So that made me want to talk about it even more because I'm sure there are so many women who are going through it and it doesn't have to be as dark as mine. It can also be like, is my baby breathing? Am I going to be a good mother? Like all these things that keep us up at night that they don't talk about it because it's not depressed. Like the, a woman might think like, oh, well, I know I'm not depressed. This isn't postpartum depression, but it still is something. Yeah. So this is kind of a two-part question. What did it feel like at your lowest point of actual depression? And what helped pull you out of that dark place? Okay. So again, like I have a terrible memory, so I don't know that I'm going <laughs> to remember in the fullest <laughs> details. But yeah, I... so. At my lowest, if I can bring myself back there, <laughs> um, it was Gray is, is whining and mm-hmm. he understands now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it felt hopeless. I never was at the point where I wanted to commit suicide, but I was definitely at the point where I just want, like, wanted to die. Like, it, it would be, I felt like it would just be easier to, like, for life to be over. Um, but I also knew that that was selfish and that it wouldn't be easier on the people in my life. So I, yeah, I just, I remember like driving and just being like, Oh, if I could just get in a car accident or like be in a coma, maybe I could lose my memory and come back and be myself without depression. Like, sure. I'll have some lost memories, but I'll take it because I can't deal with this anymore. I would say, I, I mean, And I understand why, but I had no idea during all of it that that was happening with you. And honestly, like with like my darkest depression. So even though I was like experiencing depression when it first happened, it didn't, I think like the darkest it got was when I moved back to Florida because I started having a lot of stuff coming back up from my childhood. Mm -hmm. Not anything and like nothing crazy. I mean, like yeah, I moved around a lot. And the last, my mom's current husband, I had issues with because I was a teenager and there was, we became a blended family and it was super messy. And I just had these, these insecurities and these feelings of like, I wasn't good enough. And I had a lot of shame that I was dealing with. And then when we moved back here, we actually moved in with my mom and her husband for six months. It was only six months, but it was bringing up these things that I'm like, I've gotta get out of this house. So that's, I think when it was the darkest is when I was back where I was when I was getting, I don't know, like, I feel like when I was a teenager, all this stuff was happening to me, but I had those rose colored glasses, so I didn't recognize it. Mm -hmm. And as an adult, they slowly started to like 
affect me more. And that's when then coming back and living in that space where it all happened, but I didn't know it, it brought up so much darkness. Yeah. But I'm out of it now. So that's good. So what, what would you say helped pull you out of the darkness? Well, therapy for one, Mm -hmm. I am a huge advocate of therapy because like a therapist, first of all, like helps you to feel normal and helps you to like, it helps validate your feelings. Even Mm -hmm. if your thoughts are like what you think is crazy, they're not. We all have crazy thoughts or quote unquote crazy thoughts because we're human and we have these fears that are irrational and wild. And I like, I'm, I'm certain that every single human goes through it, whether they share it or not is one thing, but I'm Mm -hmm. certain that every human has these thoughts. And so, yeah, so the therapist was a huge help to normalize it. Prayer was a huge help to, to give me a sense of hope, I guess. Mm-hmm. I would, for, yeah, for what, like when I would pray, I would feel like a little bit more, like I'd feel security because I felt no security elsewhere. And then when I would have others pray for me and I would see changes happen. Like when I'd get a, like a group of girls to pray over me, I would actually see like my anxiety lesson or my depression and then finally, I mean, cause now I feel, which is scary to say, cause I feel like if I say it out loud, it's going to come back, <laughs> which is ridiculous, but that's. No, that's, I think that's a pretty valid thought and everyone has those thoughts. Yeah. So yeah, but like I, so I feel, I feel like now I am out of my depression. I feel like I've conquered it, which I'm sure there'll be moments of it coming back and mm-hmm. it's something that I could possibly deal with again in the future, but I feel like I've conquered it. And I think that the reason for that is because I've told myself that it's not chronic. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I've heard people say it like, oh, this is something I'll deal with my whole life. And I just don't, I mean, like I said, it could happen again, but I don't want to, like, I won't let myself believe that because if I believe that, if I sit here and say like, oh my gosh, when's my depression going to come back? Which, of course, like that, like I said, that fear is deep inside of me. But I don't, if I sit there and dwell on it, it's going to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Because when you dwell on the depression or you dwell on the anxiety, your brain starts going into this place of anxiety. And honestly, I think one of the biggest parts of my anxiety was fear of handling my depression. Mm-hmm. So when I was able to just... Uh, I don't know. I like, I forced myself to stop dwelling on being depressed Mm -hmm. or having anxiety and to just like try to live life. And when those thoughts would pop in my head, I'd be like, Nope, you don't serve me. And I would look at something else. And I mean, it was really hard in the beginning. And I remember, and I've talked to other moms who've gone through this where it's just like, you're just sitting there reading your kid a book and you know that this is supposed to be such a magical moment. And all you can do is think, I'm so depressed. I can't even enjoy this. Like what's wrong with me? So I know that, like, I know that feeling. And I think I, I'm not a doctor, but I feel like our brains, when our brains are going through that, like something is, is wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that can be fixed, but it takes willpower and it, Sometimes it takes medicine. I've, I've definitely been on medicine before. I've used essential oils that help. I think acknowledging that it doesn't have to be forever and giving yourself permission to let, let that go mm-hmm. has been one of the biggest helps for me. Well, I think kind of, and I say this to a lot of people in many, not even just about this kind of situation, is whatever, and I know you, be, I'm quite sure you believe in this, whatever you give power to is way more likely to happen than not. So, you know, that goes for the good and the bad. So like you're saying, if you give, if you believe yourself that you're going to be depressed again, you probably will. But if you believe that you're going to have a great day today, you're much more likely to have a great day than not. Yeah. I mean, just like you said with your gratitude, if you're approaching something from a positive attitude, you see the positive Mm -hmm. more than the negative. And there's much more likelihood of a positive outcome happening. Are you a mama? Or are you hoping to be one very soon? I want to tell you about one of the tools that has transformed motherhood for me. It's the Expectful app. Expectful is an app that brings you guided meditations specifically centered around parenthood. I'm not even slightly exaggerating when I tell you 
It kept me sane during my very stressful final days being pregnant with Gray. Expectful meets you at the stage you are in, whether that's being pregnant or rearing the babies. It even has meditations for seasons of IVF or infertility. And the best part is you can try this all for free. Expectful usually gives you a seven day free trial, but I got us a special code just for our listeners for a 14 day free trial. All you have to do is go to expectful.com slash in raw life. Don't worry. You can find that link in the show notes. And if you end up loving it as much as I do, you can support this small business with the cost of just one Starbucks a month. If you can't afford it, Expectful will work with you so that you can get a subscription for free. That's what it's all about right there. (laughs) Support your mental health, mama, because when you're mentally well, you parent well. So last question on this, which I think would be the most beneficial for others to hear Because the reason why we wanted to do this interview, especially, and how we kind of even came together on talking in general, is that mental health is definitely a big thing in the world. And it always has been. And only recently has it been even a little bit talked about. And I feel like, I personally feel like if we could bring more awareness to it and help people who are struggling understand that it is okay to feel how they're feeling and it's okay to share it, that we could possibly have a little bit of a better world. So that brings me to my last question on this particular subject is, how do you think others can help support loved ones struggling with mental illness? That is a good question. (laughs) And I know it's obviously different for every person, but just for the people who want to try to help, what Because, you know, we all want to help always. Like you said, when your grandmother was going through it and your family was struggling, you had to get up and do something. For me, like I'm, you know, when you told me, I was like, okay, like I started talking to you and tried to start brainstorming. So uh, people, I think, have the natural want to do something. What do you think people could do? So one thing that my husband always says is just like he'll never understand what it's like to have depression I'll never understand what it's like to live with somebody who has depression. So I think that the biggest thing in all of this is to to know that you can't comprehend what that person is going through if you haven't experienced it, but that you can walk by their side and support them. Because like there's, I, I say that like it goes both ways because it wasn't easy for him either living with me, you know, like I would be depressed and he would want to fix it and he couldn't fix it. And then I, he'd get frustrated that he couldn't fix it. And then I'd get frustrated that he was trying to fix it or that he wasn't whatever. Like it was just, that could, that could get into a perpetual cycle of anger and frustration and fighting. But what we found to be the most helpful is to just know that we can't, we can't change it. We can't fix it. And to keep going. Mm -hmm. The, one of the therapists that I had seen, he was talking about a time that he went through this weird crisis of faith or something. He was just like in a funk and him and his wife had a trip planned to Hawaii and he couldn't get out of that funk. And the best thing that his wife could have done, which she did, is she went down to the pool and she read her book and she got her tan and she went snorkeling and like she enjoyed the trip because if she stayed up in the room and was trying to fix it, then she'd just be frustrated because she couldn't like that's impossible And then she would have missed out on the trip. And then he would have felt bad that she didn't enjoy the Hawaii trip. And it was all his fault because if he wasn't depressed, then she probably could have enjoyed herself and he should have enjoyed it too. But that's, that's the negative. That's where it goes when Mm -hmm. like, when things try to get fixed versus just, and this is really hard. I mean, Jay and I don't have an easy time doing this either, but to just let it go and not try to help the other one through whatever it is. Yeah, I would say that would be the biggest thing is to just be there for them. Let them know that you're there for them, but don't, don't let it ruin your life because then the person who's going through the Mm -hmm. depression is going to be extremely depressed that (laughs) they're also ruining your life on top of all of it. Yeah. You know, it's, it makes me think of, and I think this is just good for people to know how to support anyone in anything. It makes me think of, I think it was a quote from Kristen Bell that I saw about Frozen 2 and how she was so proud of like some of the things that they did with the Kristoff character. 
And one of the things is when she was going through something really hard, instead of him stepping in and saying, like trying to fix it for her, he literally held out in his hand and said, I'm here for you. What can I do? Or something like that. I'm sorry if I got the quote Mm. wrong, but like, (laughs) is that, does that feel like something that would be of good support? Yeah. Um, like letting you know, I'm here for you for whatever you need to do, but also like you do you. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes I just want a hug. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's just, I just wanted a hug. I don't want words to be said. Mm-hmm. Just like hug me and let's just sit there. But I am also, I love, I love physical touch. So that could be a huge <laughs> part of that. Yeah. Like I don't think words always, I don't think words are necessary. I think that a, like him holding out his hand, is speaks volumes over anything that he could think that he could do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I really appreciate that you shared all of that with us because that is a lot. And I know I asked a lot of you. No, that's great. On the other end, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? So I think being outdoors for one mm-hmm. is huge for me. I love nature and just being in this glorious world that was created for us. I feel like it, there's broken parts of the world, but if you listen to the radio, (laughs) it's so draining. But if you just go into nature, like the way the world was intended to be, ugh, it's so enriching and rewarding. One of my favorite things in the world is the way the sun dances through a tree blowing in the wind. It's just like looking at this, the pattern on the ground that it creates or like the way the dust flies through the, the sun stream. I'm kidding. So <laughs> I love cheesy. that. No, it's amazing. <laughs> I can picture it. Yeah. In some That's of, great. I think I love that a lot because in some of my darkest times, I would go every summer up to volunteer with the youth at my church and mm-hmm. we'd take the kids to this summer camp in Northern California, which was buried away in the mountains. It was so gorgeous. And the mornings would be really cool. And that would be what would happen every morning. The sun would like kind of peek through the trees. And I would be going through this throughout the entire time that I served at that, uh, served with the youth there. I was depressed. And so it was, it was just like, I don't know, every morning I wake up and it was like, this, it's a new day. There's the sun is shining. The air is fresh. Anything can happen today. And it always relieved the deep sadness that I was going through whenever I was there. Okay. Now it's for some of the fun stuff. Yeah. Let's bring on the fun. <laughs> if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be? Okay. So I'm glad you gave me some warning about this question. Cause I've been <laughs> thinking about it. Oh, I was excited to ask you this question. <laughs> I actually was thinking about that. I, like, I've, I feel like I've, I've thought this thought before. Like, what could I put on a billboard? And so I listened to the Bobby Bones show, which is there. It's my, they're my friends when I listen to them in the morning because <laughs> I work from home again. Anyway, so I listened to the Bobby Bones show in the morning and I just started uh, listening to it recently and he Bobby Bones said that he once bought up a bunch of billboards that said, I hate Bobby Bones. And I remember seeing that billboard like years ago before I even knew what the Bobby Bones show was. And I remember feeling devastated for whoever Bobby Bones was because I'm like, what (laughs) is wrong with this person that he hates Buy bones. Like, it's just, why do you have to be that angry that you have to put that up there or whatever? This is reminding me of the screaming at the other driver story. Yes, exactly. I was mad. Like, who, how dare you? But of course, it was like a publicity stunt and he was doing it so people would search who's Bobby Bones and then find Mm -hmm. his radio show and it was genius. But I, because I was so upset about that hate, I was like, what would happen if you made a billboard that said something about love? And so if I could have a billboard, I would put them all over the U.S. And it would say, love others better. And then in parentheses underneath, it would say, that includes you. Oh, I love that. I like it. Well, we'll have to do that one day. Yes. One day that that billboard will go up somewhere.
Are you ready for the lightning round? Dun, dun, dun! Favorite lipstick color? Oh, gosh. No, lightning um, round. <laughs> um, it's mm, mm, roseberry. Okay. Oh, I like that one, too. Favorite color? Okay, now this is really hard to beat. <laughs> lightning round with a seven, because <laughs> I, I change things way too often. Like, I cannot consistently keep a favorite color. Yes, I know. And I'm sorry about that, but... In college, my favorite color was polka dot. So, you know. <laughs> that was literally, I'm going to have to pause lightning round for a second. I should have made that the last question. That is when I knew that Sierra was going to be one of my favorite people. I think it was one of the first times we actually hung out outside of class. And somehow we were doing, I guess, probably a lightning round type of questioning just to get to know each other. And I asked you your favorite color and you told me polka dots. Yep. And I knew then and there that you were my people. But it's not polka dot anymore. Whatever. It still is. It's now teal. No. I knew that too. <laughs> what is the your favorite place that you've traveled? Paris. Mm. No. <laughs> this place in Italy where I had the best food in the world. Mm, but Paris. Paris. No. <laughs> Italy. It was no. my honeymoon. Uh. The whole trip of my honeymoon. That she won. By being on The Price is Right. Yeah, that's If that true. gives you a little hint of who Sierra is. Okay, and what's your favorite coffee order? Okay, again, it changes constantly. Like, is it hot outside? Is it cold outside? I am not set up for lightning round. Today. If you went to Starbucks right now, what would mm, you order? I would order a coffee frappuccino, half the pumps of the frap roast, and an extra shot of espresso. I don't even know what that means. Okay. <laughs> I'm also so basically white. Anyway, keep going. Last one. What's the best compliment you ever received? That would be that I'm doing a good job. Good. And last but not least, this is no longer lightning round. Yes. Tell us one of your most raw moments in life. Oh my gosh. Like, I didn't just tell you all the raw moments. Even though I feel like you kind of did. No, Sorry. I know. No. Those were more vague I think anyway. So I'll give you a specific situation, uh, which would be more recently. <laughs> I was, oh man, this was terrible. I was at the park with my son, my toddler, and I was very pregnant at the time. And the park is close to our house. So we walked there and he was acting like a crazy person. Like I just, the day he turned Two and three quarters. I feel like he turned into a monster. <laughs> so I'm hoping that, you know, three and three quarters, he's back to an angel again. But anyway, he, I don't, I, I said we had to go and I feel like we were potty training at the time. So I feel like we had to go because there was probably poop in his pants. Definitely pee. If not. Um, <laughs> and we were, he didn't want to leave the park and I'm real like, as I'm getting to know my son, which is funny because, like, you know, you have these beautiful baby angels and then all of a sudden they become people and you have to learn who they are. As I'm getting to know him, I realize that he's, uh, he needs advanced notice. Like, I'm always like, oh, tell him last minute and then let's bail so that he doesn't have to think about it. Because if you told me, I'd be thinking the whole time, oh my gosh, we only have five more minutes. We only have four and a half more minutes. Like, I'd keep counting down. Mm -hmm. But for him, no, he wants that advance notice. And I don't think he had much advance notice, probably because of the poop in his pants. Um, so it was like, okay, we got to go. And he wouldn't go. And I was too pregnant to, like, lift him and carry him. And we had a far ways to go because we walked to the park. And so he was throwing a tantrum. And I grabbed his wrist. And he wouldn't come. Like I was kind of like dragging him and he was like shaking free and playing, like being dead weight. And then I like dropped him and he, I mean, he was already pretty much on the ground anyway. And I let go and he fell uh, or he like, like laid on the ground and I couldn't get it. Like I couldn't pick him up or anything. And he was kicking and screaming and throwing a huge fit. And there was nobody at the park at the time. So I grabbed him by his ankle and I started to drag him because I couldn't lift him and he was hitting and kicking and if I could hold his foot, he couldn't kick me. And so I dragged him for like, it wasn't that far, but I just felt like a terrible mother as his like hair is rubbing in the dirt. And I'm like, who have I become that I'm dragging my child? That's, 
if I were a mom watching this, I would call Child Protective Services. Like, what is this mother <laughs> doing? But I was, I was so defeated and I'm like mortified that this even happened. And it's, I'm half, I was, I really debated as to whether I wanted to share it or not, but I feel like it is raw and it is probably something that other mothers hopefully can relate to. No, seriously, thank you for sharing that because we all have our moments as moms, as humans, as kids, as dads, as whoever's. And we all have shame. We all do things we wish we didn't do that we wish we could fix right away or rewind. And that's just part of who we are. And I personally believe as long as we are owning up to it and if we feel like we did wrong, we do better the next time. That's all we can do. Be better humans. Yep. We gotta give it our best. So <laughs> not my proudest moment, but also what what could I have done? I could have left him there to be stolen by mm-hmm. a kidnapper. So <laughs> Exactly. I'm sure there's something better I could have done, but I don't know. Not at the moment. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. Probably similar. <laughs> Grabbed him by the ankles and dragged him through the dirt. <laughs> Potentially. Oh, but yeah. So that's my... <laughs> man, ending it on that note stinks. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad that I was laughing, but it's a funny story. I know. After the fact. And when it's it not is. you. <laughs> and I'll tell him about it the rest of his life. You know, oh, yeah. he's such a brat. Tell it at his wedding. That'll be great. So that's that's my raw moment. Thank you so much for joining us again as we got to know a little bit more about Sierra. And I am just so grateful for her sharing her really rough experience and how she got through it. I really hope that this has helped some others out there understand themselves better and maybe understand some close friends or family better. And we would also love for you to be a part of our podcast. You can email us at podcast at inrawlife.com with an audio recording of yourself telling us what you think it means to be a better human. And if you like what you're listening to, please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. You can share it on Instagram, help us to grow. And where you'll find us on Instagram is the In Raw Life Podcast. Until next week, keep working towards strengthening your mental health in whatever way that means. Adios! Are you sleepy? Yeah. Are you ready for bed? Yes. I love you. I love you too. Yay! That was good. Ta-da!